G'day there, and welcome to the rewrap for Wednesday. All the best bits from the Mike Hosking breakfast on Newstalk ZB and a sillier package, I am Glenn ZB, and this morning, oh, Kiwi build again? Are you serious? Uh, iPod Touch again, are you serious? Uh, what is a job hopper? And uh, young people are useless and they're texting and walking and killing themselves. Uh, but before any of that, uh, this story got a full 15 seconds on the television news last night, even though it was one of the only things we talked about last week. Now, Nauru's decision is timely because it wouldn't have taken much more of what we saw the other day for quite a few of us, including me, to start questioning just how is it this bloke is wandering off to another party, but he's being allowed to espouse his theories on that party from inside another party. And for many last week, those views on abortion will have been the first time we've actually heard the bloke say anything at all. And it sort of looked like a mini launch, didn't it, if you saw it at the Nauru bandwagon surrounded by National Party MPs. Nothing wrong with a potential deal or understanding between friends and allies, but we would not want to have too much more of what we had, not want to go too much further down the track before it all looked a little bit gerrymandered. So, with Alfred deciding where he currently is is where he is staying, what about the Christian vote? What happens? And in that is the shame, I'm afraid, because A, a good successful Christian party would have been good news for the National Party, given they're desperate for help. B, it would have bolstered the MMP stocks, which look pathetic. And C, potentially would have given new life to the Tamaki Party. But, unfortunately, it hasn't and won't. In fact, the Tamakis run the very real risk of yet again doing a Craig or a Capel or a Lee and wrecking the Christians' chances of ever seeing their sort of political view represented at the highest levels. The key to any party or movement success is firstly the concept, secondly some sort of name recognition, thirdly a structure, fourthly credibility. Now on paper, the Tamakis have three of the four. The credibility bit is the part that will see them fail to fire even if they don't face the competition of Nauru. And in that is the letdown for potential fans. Under many circumstances, Alfred's move not to run would have, should have been mana from heaven for somebody like the Tamakis. But even with that impediment now out of the way, a train that was never leaving the station in the first place is still a train going nowhere. So no Green Conservatives. That party's going no place as far as I can work out. No Christians. 90% of the current support, according to the current polls, is for Labour and National. It is hardly an MMP utopia, is it? Although they do have a friend who's happy to give them... Uh, sensitive documents like, I don't know, bits of the budget. It's so strange. Really, it's such a stinking pile of crap, the beehive at the moment, isn't it? Um, Mind you, they can't build anything else, especially not Kiwi-built houses. So with a month to go until the first anniversary, end of June, just how many have they built? Well, no one knows, and in that... Is the crime, of course, but muddying the waters even further now is the Prime Minister's new game of pretending there were never any targets in the first place. There were, of course, of course there were. But I guess if she sticks her fingers in her ears and goes, no, 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 there weren't, maybe she thinks we'll stop asking. She does still claim, perhaps alarmingly, they're aiming for 10,000 over 10 years, but I'm assuming she secretly knows she won't be there in 10 years, hence she doesn't actually have to worry about it. Making her case Slightly harder to prosecute is the fact that Phil Twyford still seems to think there is a target of 300 in the first year. And if he thinks that's still real, then he will need to explain in about a month why they're roughly 200 or something short. And that's before you get to the houses they've had to buy off the developers because they haven't even sold. Do you subtract those from the overall target or do you argue they will one day be sold or do you argue the target of of the houses was to build them, not necessarily sell them? So... Let's be generous. Let's be as generous as we can. The houses National built are part of the mix. 
The houses the government had to buy back are part of the mix, so that's 83, 217 short of 300. They've got 33 days to finish those 217 off to meet their target. That's six and a half houses a day if they work seven days a week. There are currently 370-something under construction. The PM says it's 400, but we've already established numbers aren't her strong point. So will 217 be finished by the first anniversary at the end of June? Well, of course they won't. But here's the frustration of this. By making stuff up, by fudging, by pretending there are no targets, were never targets, by playing with words and not just being straight up and down and a little bit honest, they're making it worse for themselves. Kiwi Build is a laughing stock, of course, not just literally in terms of numbers not delivered, but in the credibility stakes for a government that I assume wants to be taken seriously. What's open, honest and transparent about denial? And how much longer do you reckon they can literally invent excuses and think they're not damaging themselves? Do they not realise how hard it is to build a house? It's really hard. I mean, I've... I, I put a, um, a letterbox in. Concreted a letterbox in earlier on in the year. And I wouldn't even want to do that again, let alone build a whole house. There's some things you just... I, I would never want to do again. Um... Apple, they want to bring back the iPod Touch for some reason. Trending now on the Mike Hosking Breakfast. Some Apple news, they're releasing a new version of the iPod Touch. Uh, haven't done that since 2015. Designed to counterbalance falling iPhone sales. Apparently it'll have an iPhone 7 processor. Uh, they're promising it'll be twice as fast as the previous version. Lots of storage up to 256 gigabytes. Uh, 400 US. I don't know what that means. It'll be here. 12,000. Who knows? Uh, So what are they saying online? In breaking news, I've decided to get a telegram to chat with friends again. Hashtag iPod. Actually, frick it. The new iPod Touch is a good idea for parents to not spoil their five-year-olds with an iPhone XS Max. (laughs) Even the Apple Store can't believe there's a new iPod Touch. I can't order one. I mean, why buy a $300 iPod Touch when you can buy a cheap Android phone for like 50 bucks and still have a better device? There's another weird how quickly we get used to the new stuff around because the iPod Touch looks ugly and boxy as. New iPod Touch when you're too broke for an iPhone but you're a complete basic bitch and need an Apple device. And somebody else says, I don't understand why Apple had to pull a new revamped iPod Touch out of their asses. Nobody wants that. Lamo. I almost feel sorry for them. Almost. I mean, it's hard to feel sorry for somebody who's decided to put uh, bits of the iPhone 7 into their new product. But they are up to the iPhone 10, as I understand. That's so that makes that three generations old, that, that component. Uh, millennials, eh? They'll probably still buy them. Millennials. <laughs> Do you know that um, there's a very good question posed by the um, the Herald yesterday under the headline, would you hire someone, speaking of jobs, would you hire someone who has changed jobs six times in ten years? And my answer, of course, is no. I wouldn't, because what that makes them is a flighty, indecisive, weak link that would almost inevitably be a pain in the bum. But as it turns out, most employers disagree with me, which is probably why they're employers and I'm not. 74% of people would, in fact, say that's a good idea. They're called hoppers. Apparently, and this is this is the changing face of the workforce all over the world. Ninety-seven percent of employers see advantages in frequent job changes for workers, whereas I, I see I see gold in longevity, I see gold in stability, I see institutional knowledge in history, and yet everybody else just sees and going, "Wee, I'll do this. No, I'll do this. Woo, this is fun. Chance to learn more skills." Faster career progression, more experience across different industries, higher salary progression, resilience to change. That, that's not true. 
Resilience to change doesn't change just because you have lots of jobs. You, every, the people who hate change always hate change. And every time and every job and every place I've ever been where um, some sort of retrenchment or change or project is undertaken, the same people whine every time, isn't it? And, and often they leave because things are changing and go and find right. somewhere where it's more the same. Exactly. There is value in sticking with what you know and what you do and what you love, I think anyway. But I just might be a tired old fart who wouldn't have a clue. Going back to the original question, though, of course, employers have to hire people like that because that's all the people there are. There aren't very many people out there. And most of them get sick of doing their job after about six months and go and do another job. So there's even less people out there. I could never change jobs because I just can't be bothered. I'm too lazy. Um... Yeah. So anyway, let's keep bashing up millennials um, because now they're, they're having to introduce fines for texting while crossing the road because they keep hurting themselves doing that. Idiots. Wouldn't one of the pushback arguments be the enforcement of that one thing to pass a law, but would anyone actually enforce it? Well, that's always the question when any kind of law is introduced and passed. The bill here is not about enforcement. It's about getting people to, you know, do what Sometimes we got to remind people what the common sense thing to do is and the, and what the common sense thing not to do is. And this, if anything, has already sparked a lot of discussion and talk among people, apparently halfway around the world as well. And, you know, as I said, it's you can't avoid seeing people texting while doing all sorts of things. Uh, by the way, this does not take away any responsible uh, any responsibility on the part of the driver. It is the no, driver's utmost responsibility to not hit anybody. That is true. But we're saying also that everybody should bear, bear a little bit of responsibility in their own safety. John, appreciate your time very much, and good luck with that legislation. John Liu, New York State well, Senate. I'm glad you clarified that because I was under the impression when you see somebody crossing the street and texting at the same time, it's your responsibility to deliberately run them down. No, no, no. you were wrong there. No. I'm only half joking about that because it would be a very effective uh, way to solve the problem, wouldn't it? Uh, because... Uh, if you run them down, they can they can't do it again. And also, it would probably act as somewhat of a deterrent if people knew that uh, it was a defence for running people down. Oh, they were texting while crossing the road. Oh well, Glen ZB world is a slightly different world to everybody else's. I am Glen ZB. That was a little look into my world, and I'll be back with another peek tomorrow. See you then.